So Patrick Mahomes tweeted out uh, on Sunday. He was a little late to the party, but uh, he tweeted out that was the best no-look pass he's ever seen. Of course, we're talking about Fitz Magic. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw. It, it has to be the greatest no-look pass of all time because the guy was literally getting his head ripped off before he even released the football. It's unbelievable. A play that did not start as a no-look pass is now immortalized as the greatest no-look pass. <laughs> there was nowhere in the playbook that they wanted Ryan Fitzpatrick's face to get ripped off. That is that was not in the that is not in the realm. I don't of, think that's how you dial it up. Well, and we've seen. Listen, since Patrick Mahomes you know, made the no-look pass a real thing two years ago. And really getting credit for, I, I think it's something that you'd seen, had, you had seen guys do before, but it was always more of a like a look-off, like a really good look-off to where they knew where they were going. And, and maybe never like, you know, you'd see a highlight of a, of, of a guy like a Stafford or, or, you know, some of these other guys like, you know, but Mahomes obviously like, vi- like viciously making it like I am looking one way and completely throwing across my body the other way. Yeah, incredibly intentional. Yes, incredibly intentional. That's a great way to say it. You know, we've seen now more of it, like, you know, Stafford's getting more attention for what he's done with the no-look. Rodgers has done a couple of these more no-look. I think it's one of those tools that you'll – we'll look back on this kind of like the OBJ catch. You know, that OBJ catch, uh, you know, now it's like seven years ago, six years ago, in his, like, rookie year or his second year in the league – Ever since then, we've seen way more incredible one-handed catches. Ever since the Mahomes no look, I do think you're going to see this more now as a tool that quarterbacks will practice and look. And the Fitzmagic thing is like the only way that you're going to get Tom Brady or like Philip Rivers <laughs> or, or you know these old guys, the the old the old school guys to ever do a no look pass, teaching an old dog new tricks by literally having to forcefully turn their heads. To make it no look. What What's most impressive about it, obviously, inherently, is the fact that clearly it's not, it's something that happened uh by the seat of your pants, you know, like he, he wasn't anticipating. I think what's most impressive about that is just the fact that you're in such a one high pressure situation, yeah. you know, trying, trying to make a comeback late in the fourth, you know, you just got put in the game. You're kind of cold off of that. Uh, you, you have to step up into a pocket of pressure and then trying to make a desperation heave down the you know left side of the field. And then all of that happens while, you are completely unexpectedly getting your head turned. Like you, like if I don't know about you, but like if you're thrown off, if I'm thrown off by something, it's hard to completely stay on task with whatever you're doing. Like the ability to, for him oh, to be thrown off in the in, million in a split percent. second and deliver a, a, a strike. That was, that's gotta be the most impressive. Pass well, and also season, like, especially. I mean, when you watch it, it's pretty vicious. Like the fact that he didn't get like hurt yeah. or like the helmet didn't break his nose. You know, it's funny. I tweeted it out on Saturday night after the game. And then I was listening on my drive back to Quincy this morning here on, on Tuesday, the 29th. I heard, I listened to part of my take and PFT commenter had a similar idea. I, I literally tweeted out like Brian Fitzpatrick is not a hall of famer, but deserves a special place in the hall of fame. And I kind of jokingly said like, you need to just put like 
one TV or one iPad in the corner just rolls through his highlights with all his accomplishments of all the teams he's <laughs> right. thrown a pass for, all the different starts. I mean, he's got all these weird records. But PMT commentator said, it, I, I give him credit for it, and I think it's actually a fairly brilliant idea. You could make the argument that Ryan Fitzpatrick could belong in the Hall of Fame for his just contra- uh, is contra- you know, as a contributor to football. You know, they give like the Hall of Fame as like a what you contribute to football, like Steve Sable. And it, like, it'd almost be like a, like an honorary doctorate yes. that people are awarded, right? Like, you know, his so like, contributions, honorary Hall of Fame his contributions to football, because what he's doing, and he's he's setting a new role, almost like you could make the argument that, like, special teamers, like a Devin Hester changes, uh, you know, change the way a lot of NFL rules are now made, and, you know, kickoffs are different, and, and extra, you know, and punts and everything. In a weird way, Ryan Fitzpatrick is making... Guys, a Gardner Minshew is going to have a long career because if you can be a Ryan Fitzpatrick, like he's he's carved out to such a unique role in NFL history yeah. for himself, and he actually does have in pretty decent numbers. He's got better numbers than a lot of the old time Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I, it's interesting to talk about. I'd be willing. Sure. I, I think I'd be willing to sign off on that if I had any say in the NFL. Like he's not a Hall of Fame player, but what he is as an entity deserves Hall of Fame recognition, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, I'm, I'm kind of serious I mean, on it. He, he, he's probably the, the best backup of all time, or at least in a very few group in that selection. Yes. You know, like, you, Who's you not a of, career you know, starter. Josh McCown. Like, yeah. Josh McCown is a great backup because yes. he, he brought a similar aspect. He was really intelligent, had good leadership, and then was actually able to make some plays. But, like, Fitzpatrick – legit can win a lot of games in this league, which is crazy. Like he can take a team to 10 and six, you know, and into the playoffs. Well, I, and, um, I don't know. I mean, a unique, I think he could, he could do that. Oh, if he was he with a, if he was with a talent, like a Kansas city or a green Bay, maybe I, I, I could see that. The problem is he never also got that chance because you never build around him. You never like, you never put Ryan Fitzpatrick on a stacked roster. He's always sure, on a roster look, where look it's a where rebuild. <clears throat> The Dolphins are ten and five right now. I th- I don't think Tua has like drastically changed much in in terms of them winning games. Like he he could have gotten them to ten and five right. as well. Fitzpatrick, right. I, I can would see say that. you All know. Right. So there's some validity yeah, that's there. That's where I'm basing that off. Okay, but obviously that was uh, probably the the thing that jumped out most about this week in terms of like awe dropping plays. Four and days moments. of football, Dan. Four days of football. We, we had four days. It was awesome, and it's good to have four days of football this late into the season. Because, you know, so many storylines to go through. So now you, you get some time to, to dwell on some games here. We had the Thursday. Then Friday you had, a, uh, you had games. Saturday you had a few. And you could really digest uh, the NFL season a little bit more here in Week 16. Really exciting. Obviously, we have so many playoff pictures uh, to go through, which is kind of going to be the theme of this show where we – delve into really the, I guess you could say, 16, 17, 18 uh, teams that are either locked up in the playoffs or, or fighting for a playoff berth. So there's there are a lot of situations, obviously, with Week 17 yeah. divisional games to go through. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, obviously, this is going to be an unprecedented year with the uh, addition of an NFL team making the postseason with the one seed only getting the bye 
there are certainly some new things to think about when talking about the playoff structure this year. I also think, Dan, it's important for us to remember that is not a COVID thing. This is now the rule yeah. of law in the NFL. This, this was it. This is something that was voted on before COVID was ever a, a, a word in our vocabulary. And so for a lot of these people thinking, oh, this is something special for this year. No, no, no. We get this excitement and this seventh team and this extra football game, uh, these extra two football games, uh, playoff football. Now, at least for the next 10 years to the end, 2029, when the collective bargaining agreement ends. Um, yeah, let's get it started. I know you got a great yeah. on this day and then we'll jump into it. We got a lot of scenarios to look at, a lot of important games as we kind of talk about how last week has shaped the way that seven, week 17 will, will lay out. Yeah, there's some foreshadowing and some, I guess, alarms uh, to go off going into this final week. But, yeah, you mentioned it uh, on this day in football history. We do this every show. Um, and we've had um, a couple college ones throughout this. And uh, it's on this day in football history, not NFL history. So uh, th this was a good one, too, because I remembered uh, when I got here, uh, in South Carolina, one of the first projects we did with COVID uh, was top 10 moments in Clemson and South Carolina athletics history. Um, because, you know, both, especially Clemson has been on, on the market recently, obviously, but they, they've had some really key moments in it, in their past. And this was one of them. So the Gator Bowl in 1978 on this day, December 29th, 1978, it was Ohio state against uh, Clemson. And, Clemson uh, won this game on well, what, what sealed it was a, a last-minute uh, interception or an interception in the final minute there. Uh, the Buckeyes' legendary, legendary football coach, Woody Hayes, just erupted on the sidelines and uh, ended up punching um, the, the player who intercepted the pass. The player's name uh, eludes me at this moment. But um, Woody Hayes, just so livid. Um, at the man who picked off the ball, uh, he just went over and, uh, and and just straight up punched the dude. Like the, a, a coach punching a player uh, doesn't happen very often. It was very like Bobby Knight-esque almost. And uh, Woody Hayes was then, of course, relieved of his duties shortly after. So kind of became an infamous moment in college football history. Uh, but the fact, you know, it was, a, it was the Gator Bowl. Uh, it, it, there was a lot happening in college football at the time. Um just pretty, pretty crazy. And then four years later on that same day, Bear Bryant um, had his final game with the Crimson Tide as they defeated Illinois in the Liberty Bowl. But yeah, Woody Hayes punching a player. One, one of the biggest changes in college football, even though head coaches still have so much power, um, you know, with the low, small towns, small media, they're the highest paid employees in the States. One of the biggest changes, though, in college football is the player empowerment move, uh, uh, you know, uh, movement and this idea of the transfer portal and how you, you're starting to see these things. You know, you watch a college football game, and we got some big ones on Friday uh, with, the, with the playoff. I can't wait to watch. That you're going to hear names of the people when they're announcing these games saying, oh, and this is so-and-so who started his career at this school and is now here. And Justin Fields is a great example of that. And I think it's great for the sport and, you know, taking away a little bit of the bite and the power of these coaches, that's a good thing because is, is legendaries, the Bear Bryant's, the Woody Hayes's, uh, you know, the Joe Paz were, they also, you look back at a lot of these incidents and a lot of these legendary coaches, they have some real 
shady black marks in their history in their past because they could get away with murder in a lot of ways. And, you know, and, and, and there was lots of places to hide the bodies and there were, and there were always people defending him, obviously punching the, the player wasn't the only reason that Woody Hayes was done, but that certainly, I think, ended his career quicker than he would have liked. Yeah, I mean, it's the straw that broke the camel's back, essentially. But, yeah, I mean, th- there's still so much power in being a head coach in particular states. You know, most uh, head coaches of Power 5 programs are the highest-paid yep. public employees in their states. So the power is still there. Um, but there's just, you know, honestly, with social media and, and cameras everywhere, uh, it's just things blow up so much quicker. You know, it the 78 Gator Bowl thing – may not have been as high profile of a story had it happened in a meaningless regular season game, but because it was a, a bowl game that was it actually had already getting coverage. attention. Yeah. Yeah. It was getting national attention already. Um, so to think about kind of how that scope has evolved over the years, I mean, I, I would totally agree that it's, it's just a different climate, m- probably most ways for the better. So yeah, that's, that's the, on this day in football history, December 29th or uh, yes, December 29th of 1978. And with that, Mark, we will jump right into our week 16 recap. Let's just give initial thoughts on week week 16 before we delve into the playoff picture. Um, What stood out to you in terms of any games that maybe, um, you know, helped move teams into a different conversation um, moving forward? Well, obviously to me, the biggest win was for the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, because obviously they didn't look great. They had a bad first half. It looked like they were on their way uh, to losing again. And, and honestly in, in this weird historic fashion and for them against a physical football team, like Indianapolis to come back and, and not, and avoid that four game skid clinch the division I thought that was huge, and Ben pushing the ball down the field. And I thought I think one of the reasons why Indy has always been on that kind of like I've never moved them higher than like tenth or ninth in my power rankings, even when they were streaking, was a lot of what you saw in the second half of that game. Their defense, as good as it is when it plays at an elite level, uh, can't make up for a lot of the mistakes sometimes that their offense puts them in. And you know, Phil Phil Rivers is. You know, he is so immobile. And when you go from watching the Kyler Murrays and these other quarterbacks, uh, and, and then you and then you turn flip the channel and you see Philip Rivers, it's crazy. I mean, it looks like a different NFL. And it's a you it's, it takes such a more unique, a perfect game plan for them. And um, you know, for the Colts, you feel like that could be devastating. And obviously for Browns fans. That was huge, too, because as we'll talk about it, the Browns avoided their doomsday scenario where they could be an 11-win team on the outside looking in. Now the Browns at least control their own destiny. Indianapolis loses the chance for them to control their own destiny. So I thought that was huge. And for the Steelers, then, it gives them the opportunity, and we've already heard it today, to rest guys going into Week 17. And Mason Rudolph's going to get the start uh, and for a Steelers team that is reeling, I think a buy for a guy like Ben and some of their other players uh, to get right, I think could be huge for them and help them move forward. So I, obviously that was big for me. Uh, the other thing I'll say is uh, the Ravens look like a team that is the team that no one wants to play. I, I would argue maybe right now the Ravens are, b- besides the Chiefs and, and the Bills, I might say the third-ranked b- AFC team right now. 
Uh, they are offensively on fire. Lamar Jackson, I like their chances of getting further in the playoffs this year than I almost do than last year. Uh, just because of the confidence that he's playing with now, they're refining that swagger, and there's no pressure. You know, they don't have the pressure of the one seed. They don't have the pressure of the MVP. No one's talking about Baltimore on the level that Buffalo and Kansas City are deservedly getting their praise. I'm not trying to hate on Buffalo or Kansas City. I still like them more than the Ravens, but man, oh man, do the Ravens really look good right now and, and are and are scary. And then and the NFC, massive wins for Seattle and Green Bay. Uh, for Seattle and Green Bay to both be in contention for the one seed, getting, uh, you know, Seattle getting a big win over division opponent, a Rams team that uh, is is uh, falling off the map at the wrong time of the year now with the Jared Goff injury. And then for, for Green Bay, let's give them, I got to give them credit. I Credit where it's due. We've talked about all year, the way to beat Green Bay is to be physical. Uh, Tennessee's a physical team that handled, I think, the snow pretty well and the conditions pretty well, all things considered. But man, when Aaron Rodgers is in a groove, Dan, he's on a different level. I mean, he's on a different planet playing a different game uh, that, that only you see from Mahomes at, at this point in time in the in the NFL. And they won so, the physical battle, which they was did. something that we had talked about as being their biggest weakness throughout the year. A.J. Dillon went off. Aaron Jones went off. They won the line of scrimmage, and Rodgers and Devontae did what they do. So, look, like, like that – that is the best we've seen that team in terms of complete team effort, defense, totally. special teams, offense, running the ball, passing. Uh, if that team is the team that shows up all throughout the postseason, I don't see how you could pick anybody to beat Green Bay, um, e- e- even in the Super Bowl. I mean, if, if it's a Green yeah. Bay-Kansas City Super Bowl, um, I'm not so convinced that Kansas City is is an easy pick there. The, the so, only thing that the only thing that yeah. I would say about that, well, obviously, if it ever gets to that point, my gut reaction to Green Bay, Kansas City, is though we know what Kansas City can do when they're down and from behind. What do sure. we? We don't know what Green Bay is like. The t- the few times we've seen them get down, they fold. So, are they a front running team? Where is Green Bay in that? And and if they face some adversity in the playoffs, obviously. Um, that would res- strengthen my resolve in Green Bay if, you know, towards picking him. Can I ask your opinion on a couple games? Uh, you know, I I feel, I feel like I know what I, I think about these teams in these games, but I want your opinion on it. Uh, New Orleans, Minnesota, um, dominating performance from Alvin Kamara, and I I'm, was kind of pissed at Sean Payton for not letting him get seven. He could have easily got seven and set that record. How do you feel about New Orleans today? I, I think I feel much better uh, than I did, you know, maybe a, a, even a couple weeks ago. Look, I, they've been on that pendulum as well throughout the year where they we all knew that they're a good team. You know, they were my pick to go to the Super Bowl. Um, and there have been weeks where they've, you know, shown that to be uh, a worthy pick and then other times not so much. I think what they showed, I mean, the thing that concerned me most was, you know, you gave up 33 to the Vikings, even though it was still, you know, especially with how dominant new Orleans defense is supposed to be. All that being said, when you have a dominant run game spearheaded, obviously by Alvin Kamara, you have a capable drew Brees. Although in this particular game, they, that's what I guess was most encouraging. Drew Brees didn't play very well. Uh, he had two interceptions, no touchdowns, 
but he made the throws that they needed him to make in terms of like third downs, some, you know, important situations of the football game. Drew was able to get the ball uh, in the playmaker's hands. And then Alvin Kamara was able to run away with the rest of it. If, if that, if they can win that way without needing Drew Brees to be classic Drew Brees, then I think they're a scary team. Like that's, so that's kind of how I view this. If they were able to win 52 to 33, against a team that was still fighting for playoff relevance, and they did so without a single touchdown from Drew Brees, that that spells some good good stuff moving forward, yeah, a good I, omen for New Orleans. And I, and I know that game was on Christmas Day, so it's, it's a little farther back in our memories, but I just went and looked it up as you were talking. Because when you said 33 points, I was like, yeah, they, the Vikings did score 33, and it was close. It was 31-27 going into the fourth. Vikings scored late yeah. in the third – it's a four-point game going into the fourth in uh, New Orleans. So that's obviously a concern. I think one of the things, though, is that Vikings offense is very dynamic when they're playing well and uh, when the weapons they have. So they're going to put up points. I do give uh, New Orleans a lot of credit for uh, coming back. The other, the, only other, the only other thing I wanted to get your opinion on, and, and, and this honestly is because I, I don't know what to think. Um is Tampa Bay, and obviously they demolish the Lions, who had no coaches. They're on their interim coach, and their interim coach had COVID. They had a wide receiver coach as their head coach. Um, but when they are seeming to now put it together offensively and locking up that number one wild card spot, that five seed, so they're pretty much going to guarantee themselves to play the NFC East winner, Dan, where are your thoughts on Tampa Bay? Because my my thing is this. It's like, well, it's easy to say, well, they beat up on Detroit. Well, yeah, but if you're a good team who has real chance in the playoffs, that's what you should do to Detroit. Like, they did what we should expect them to do. And I think that's saying something because we haven't known what to expect from Tampa the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I never understood that type of almost criticism. <clears throat> Excuse me that type of criticism from people where, uh, well, yeah, you beat up on a, on a poor team or a, or a four or five win team. First off, we can't have it both ways. Either it's the NFL and it's any given Sunday or it's not. And most coaches throughout the history of the league, most players throughout the history of the league, I've told you it's truly any given Sunday. These are professional football players who are, who don't like losing. I mean, these are competitors. So, I will never fault a team for beating up on a on a lesser opponent um, because at the end of the day, they're are still professional athletes who are trying to stand in your way of getting a victory, um, and, and to do it forty seven to seven, that that only can tell you that this team is capable of dominating a game. Of course, there were other factors. You know, Detroit had a first time defensive play caller at the helm. They they didn't have a head coach. All Stafford's injury injured. Sure, sure. Stafford got hurt, um, but it was on the road, and you know Tampa came back to form. They they've kind of uh, they've looked uh, weird at times this year. Where I mean, like that that thirty eight to three Saints loss or whatever that was terrible. Um, and they've looked bad in some wins and all of that. But it's the same reason you know with the with the Bears beating up on the Jags is like. 
Yeah, okay. So everyone's talking about the Bears. Oh, yeah, they may have scored 30-plus points in the past four games, but look at who the opponents are. I don't care who you are. Scoring 30-plus points in four straight games is is very difficult regardless of who the opponent is. Especially for a team that hadn't done it since 1965. Like, that is – like, there is – I tweeted that out. I saw that, and there's legitimately many, many Bears fans, myself included, who in the history of their lives have never seen the Bears – this good on offense this many games in a row. And what's even more depressing, and I heard Barstool Big Cat throw at this stat this morning, was the Green Bay Packers have done it twice this season alone, four different streaks (laughs) of 30-plus points. So, you know, you can't have it both ways. You're absolutely right. And I, I do think there's a little bit to the fact that that's unprecedented that they are injured and coaches and COVID and everything. But I still give Tampa some credit, especially now to the fact that the Rams may not make the playoffs. The Cardinals may not make the playoffs. The Bears is the other wildcard team. You have no idea what you're going to get from them if they make the playoffs. Tampa Bay, uh, I mean, you put them in that category, especially because we we discount whoever's going to win the East, especially. They're not going to make noise in the playoffs. Uh, I really don't think. They might get lucky at home again any given Sunday. But all of a sudden, you say, now Tampa deserves to be in that conversation with Green Bay, Seattle, and New Orleans as though one of those four teams is going to come out of the NFC. And uh, Tampa, I think, has just as good a chance as New Orleans or, or, or Seattle uh, against a Green Bay. We've seen them do it against Green Bay before. And they play that physical brand and can score. So I think it's very interesting when you when you think about that. The only other thing, Dan that I would say, you know, big big points for me when I look back at this week. Uh, you know, I want to give credit to the Cowboys for kind of coming back from the dead. Uh, you know, we kept saying for the past like three, four weeks, oh, it's probably going to be the Eagles that maybe have the life and, and make a run. But you got to give the Cowboys credit. They put themselves in a spot where this Washington team could very easily lose to the Eagles next week. And the and the Cowboys, I trust them right now more than I do the Giants. Even though I like the Giants' defensive personnel, the Cowboys' offense is clicking, so good for them. Uh, you know, kudos to them. I also want to give a shout-out um, to Raheem Morris and the Falcons. I mean, brutal, brutal yeah, loss, no but in Kansas City, if you would have told me that that was going to be a 14-17 game in Kansas City, I... I think part of it is Kansas City, I think they they are getting a little too cute, and I think they were taking that opponent way too lightly. Why is your five your half-a-billion-dollar quarterback playing wide receiver ever? Listen, I yeah. love you, Andy Reid, but I'll give you as much credit as I will for the weird shovel passes, and I will hate on you for putting your half-a-billion-dollar quarterback at wide receiver. He should never play wide receiver. Mark that down no. right now. Patrick Mahomes should never play wide receiver. So... Those are the other thoughts I had, uh, uh, you know, as you know, as kind of a button on week 16 before we move into week 17. Yeah, so t- let's take a look at kind of the playoff picture and implications. So we'll, let's just go by conference. We'll break things down by conference. Yeah, we can start in the AFC for sure. So, yeah, let's, let's start in the AFC. So we have three uh, teams that have clinched playoff berths in the AFC, meaning there are four spots available. So the three that have clinched are the Chiefs, uh, who have locked up the one seed, uh, the Buffalo Bills currently in the two seed at twelve and three. The Steelers uh, currently and the, at the three seed 
and 12 and 3. Both of those teams have locked up their positions there. One, so, two, and three. Solid. Well, well, St- yeah, yeah. So unless, uh, although if the Bills lose, obviously, and the Steelers win, then Steelers move into the two seed. But they have, the Steelers and Bills have either the two or three seed locked up. Um, so the rest is uh, people competing for the four seed and or uh, the wild card. So right now in the four seed, we have the Tennessee Titans sitting at 10 and five. They currently are atop the NFC AFC South standings as they hold the tiebreaker over the Colts, who are also 10 and five. In the five seed, we have Miami. They are also 10 and five. Uh, they have risen up to that five seed right now as it stands today. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously talk about what happens uh, week 17 and, and moving forward. Their six seed, the Baltimore Ravens, they are also 10 and five. And then in the at the seventh seed, the Cleveland Browns at ten and five. So right now, with the Colts, uh, all the ten and five then? teams. Colts are eight. So the Colts, Colts are on the bubble on the outside looking in because of that loss to Pittsburgh. Um, if they had won and went to eleven and four, the Colts, the the Titans would likely have bumped the Browns to the eight seed as the t- uh, Titans very well at ten and five. I believe have the tiebreaker over Cleveland. They would the Titans would have been in the seventh seed. The Colts would have been in the four seed um, with the division uh, winning. Now, if I'm but if I'm not mistaken, yeah, the Titans basically have like a ninety six percent chance to get in. The Titans the Titans could lose and still and still get in. They have they have more of the driver's seat to kind of get in. If I'm not mistaken. I'm looking at it right now. Tennessee clinches the division the, the division title with these situations. Uh, Tennessee wins. They clinch the they're division. playing the Texans in Houston. You would assume they do. Um, or Indianapolis could lose. Or Tennessee and Indy tie. So, really, it's pretty simple scenarios. They either need the Colts to lose uh, if they lose. Or they just need to win, and they're and they got the division. Now, like can the Tennessee? Does it have a chance for Tennessee to be a wild card team, or no? Ten, so Tennessee can clinch a playoff berth alone if Baltimore loses, or if Miami loses, and then obviously there are those scenarios with ties. Tennessee ties Cleveland. Gotcha. Uh, so if Tennessee yeah, so loses, so if Tennessee loses, they need either Baltimore or Cleveland to lose as well. Uh, Baltimore or Miami, Miami to, to lose. lose as well. Because that's right. Because Cleveland yeah, yeah. beat them. So if Baltimore or Miami lose, Tennessee is in. So that's why I feel uh, good about Tennessee because yeah. Tennessee is at Houston. I expect them to win that game. Houston is as especially defensively have been bad. Uh, you know, losing to the Bengals. Now you could say they get up for a division opponent, try to play spoiler, but Tennessee, especially coming off that tough loss in Green Bay on prime time. You expect them to bounce back and uh, really put in a, a good performance. And also, Miami, uh, and we can go to that, Dan, next. They're in, the, they're in some trouble because Miami is at Buffalo. Buffalo, unlike Pittsburgh, who Pittsburgh already announced today, they're going to start Mason Rudolph. They're going to give Ben the bye week. And I think that's smart because if you're, if you're Pittsburgh, the two versus three, not as big of a deal for the veteran team What's more important for the veteran team is you haven't had a bye week since what, like week three because of COVID, week remember? Four, yep. And yep. so uh, for them to get some rest, to take a breath, to reset, I think is more important 
knowing they're going to play at home anyways. And I do think for Buffalo, for a young team, it is a real boost for them, an uplifter for them to beat their own division opponent, a rivalry game at home and clinch a two seed. So I, I, and listen, the Bills are rolling right now. The Bills are a better team than the Dolphins. This game is going to be in Buffalo at noon on Sunday. And who knows what the weather will be like. I love Buffalo in that game to win, to roll into the playoffs with a lot of momentum and clinch a two seed. And if Miami loses, they're pretty much done, right? Actually, no. So they, they have they have some legit uh, options here that can help them out. I'm not going to say that it's um, um, likely, but if they lose, they can still clinch a berth. If Baltimore loses, just straight up, Baltimore loss, Miami's in. Cleveland loss, Miami's in. Or Indy loss, Miami is in. So those are all problems. Those are all could happen. Those all could happen. You know, the Cleveland one, like, you know, Pittsburgh, like Mason Rudolph obviously has – to play for his role as, you know, a potential well, his NFL future, career, yeah. you know, so yeah, I mean, so like he obviously has motivations. Uh, of course, there's that whole storyline with him in the in the Browns from last year, anyway. But the the point is, like, and Indy could lose too. I mean, if they well, if to me, that's off the, of this. That well, it's interesting, Dan, because you say that, but like, I think the Browns losing would be their best chance if if Miami loses because Ravens are at the Bengals. Bengals are playing better, but the Ravens, they know they need to win to get in, to clinch. And Indy is hosting the Jags. <laughs> now, the Jags, you yeah. could argue, because they've already locked up the one seed, are now a little bit more dangerous. Like, you know what I mean? Number one pick. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, one number one pick. Yeah, sorry. They, they, You could argue they might be a little more dangerous. Yeah. But they got nothing to lose. That right? game is in Indy. I, it's tough. Those are some – that's a tough one for the for the Dolphins – if I had to bet money, I would say the Dolphins right now, just on that scenario alone, I like the Browns' chances. I think the I think the Dolphins are going to be the odd man looking out. You know what I mean? Are they going to be the odd man out? Sure. Don't you? And uh, I, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean it's Dan, tough because the Dolphins, I, I Dolphins don't... lose to the Bills. I think this. I think the Browns beat the Steelers. And right. I, I, I think the Colts and, and the Ravens. And beats the Jags. I think the easy, Colts take the care Ravens of the Jags and the Ravens beat the Bengals. I mean, if the Ravens yeah. were, if they had, if it was, you know, if you needed the Colts to lose and they were playing the Titans or something, I, I just don't, I don't see Jacksonville or, or, or the Bengals being able to make a real game of it. And frankly. Yeah. Is it the Bengals are riding a two game win streak where they pulled off some upsets, but. The, yeah, and the I mean, Browns still the Ravens, and and when the Ravens are playing for a a playoff berth, like they're not this this yeah. should be an ass whooping. It is but. well, and but but it is it is interesting to think the Dolphins, Ravens, Browns, Titans, they all have real things to play for because they all win and control their destiny. The Colts need win and help. They're the only ones Correct. that need win and help. So. If you're Miami, you know, uh, the Ravens, the Browns, and the Titans, you're obviously, there's not going to be any need for motivation. They're all going to come out firing. Um, if I had to pick right now in the AFC, I'm gonna, I am gonna, I would go on the limb and say you're going to have the Bills of the number two seed. 
I think they win. I think the Steelers lose, and they lock up the three seed. The four seed, I think the Titans win. They take the four seed. And then I think you have uh, the Ravens, the uh, Browns, and the uh, um, and the Colts. And the Colts. And, and who would yeah. be the Colts? Would be, would the Colts be the seven seed then? And the Ravens yeah, they, and Browns, the, the four, Ravens four, Browns five, uh, Ravens, excuse me, five, Browns six, Colts seven. Correct. Yep. I love those matchups yep. too. Then you get, you know, then you get uh, Titans versus uh, Ravens in a, in a matchup of last year's wild card. You get Brown Steelers in, yep, in the for a second, and then, back to back week. And there. then you get Colts uh, versus Bills. In Buffalo, yeah. and I love that matchup for the Bills. I think that's – in the AFC, that's what I think will happen. And in a lot of ways, for the matchup-wise, that's kind of what I'm rooting for. Do you agree? I, I would like to see that too. I mean, I think it would be great if the Dolphins got in because it, it would just mean a lot for, in terms of where they've been for so many yeah. years. Um, and and with Brian Flores, what he's done, yeah, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But um, – I think from an exciting matchup standpoint that what we just laid out there is going to be the most enticing playoff weekend to see um, with the exception of maybe the bills Colts. Cause I just don't think that'll be competitive. I, I think the bills easily win that one, yeah. but you know, it, it still is the point is like, you know, anything could happen. Yes. Um, so you never, you never really know, especially with, you know, if the Colts, uh, continue to run the football well. Anything could happen if you can control the clock for an entirety of a game. So, it's interesting you say um, that about Miami be because I I I like Miami too, and I like what they're building. For me, the best case scenario is Tua plays really well in Buffalo. If I'm a Dolphins fan, we lose, but Tua plays really well. And well, if you're a Dolphins fan, you obviously you want them to win. But for me, and when I my own dumb brain and my own fandom. I want to see Phil Rivers in a playoff game. I'd rather see Phil Rivers. Sure, sure. I'd rather see Phil Rivers than the Tua Fitzmagic in the playoffs, just just for the fun of Phil Rivers. Uh, I also think it gives Phil an, an easier kind of retirement path. You got the Colts. You proved at your age and your mobility that you could take that good Colts team to the playoffs. You lose to a, a, a all hot Buffalo team that may be the second best team in the NFL right now um, with you could argue uh, one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And that's a great send off for Phil Rivers to again, move to where he's going to be in Texas and, and coach football with his nine kids. And it's a great send off. I, I, I like that as a button on Phil Rivers NFL career. And as much as I, I like Tua, and I, I think Tua will be okay. Personally, I'd love to see Tua play really well against the Buffalo team but ultimately falls short. This is where it, it, you know, once we find out more, because if Buffalo does sit Josh Allen and a couple starters, now all of a sudden you're, you're, you're looking at a, a legit possibility now that the Dolphins are in, uh, and the yeah. Colts are all but all but screwed. But the thing, like you said, I mean, it's a division rivalry, so there's more, there's more at stake. I mean, if you're Buffalo, you'd like nothing more than to prevent the Dolphins yeah. from getting in. I agree. Um, it's the same with you know, like the the Steelers and Browns type of dynamic and stuff like that. But um, obviously you have to kind of weigh those factors and see what matters more. I mean, if Josh Allen were to get hurt, obviously hindsight 2020 at that point, you're looking like, wow, like th that was really kind of a dumb move then. Now, can I so, ask you a question in this scenario? You as a, as a big Steelers fan are saying 
Now, in this scenario, too, we're painting it as the Browns beat the Steelers. Are mm-hmm. you comfortable as a Steelers fan saying then basically if you're you're waving the white flag a little bit, putting in Mason Rudolph, that we are going to knowingly basically take on the Browns again the following week? Are you comfortable with that as a Steelers fan playing the Browns in Pittsburgh in the on wildcard weekend? 100%. Because okay. at the end of the day, it's it's – it's Ben versus the Browns. It's at Heinz Field, familiar week. Uh, you will have everyone rested. I mean, I imagine they're going to sit a lot of defensive. I, I wouldn't play T.J. Watt. Yeah. I wouldn't play Minka Fitzpatrick. Hayward. I'm not playing Cam Hayward. You know, I'm not playing any of these guys um, to potentially get hurt. They're going to come into this game refreshed and ready. Cleveland just coming off of a game in which they may bring some familiarity that's not going to be there because they just played the the Steelers that really aren't the Steelers. So there's a, there's a potential for some, you know, you know, kicking them in the teeth early on because they're not necessarily um, expecting what, uh, what's coming to them given that, you know, so many people are now in a position that they weren't just a week ago. So I I, I, I think that's, and and I just like it. I, I just, I just like that matchup. Like I, if you were to ask me, what would I say is the ideal matchup for the Steelers to start the postseason off with? It's either the Browns, or maybe, maybe the Dolphins. But but I would say probably the Browns because I couldn't agree more. They, I couldn't agree the more. The Steelers can shut your run game down, and if they do that, then I'm not confident Baker Mayfield's going to win over a game at Heinz Field in the Browns' first playoff game. In however many years, I could. I just don't I, see that I couldn't agree more. If I'm a Brown, if I'm a if I'm a Steelers fan, I want no part of the Ravens. I want no part Correct. of the uh, Titans. I really don't want to see the Colts again, especially what I you know, kind of skimming that game by the you know the skin of your teeth, and and a motivated Colts team uh, that I think is more dangerous than the Browns, especially defensively. You know, because you got to remember too, in the playoffs, defense ratches up. And the Browns' defense, let's just be honest, it's the weakest of those. Uh, well, it's better than the Titans, but it's weaker than the Colts or the Dolphins or the Ravens. And yeah. and and everyone else, I trust even the Chiefs. I I so, yeah. you know, I, I agree with you. It's, it's interesting because it's weird because you're also giving the Browns that little bit of motivation. Hey, they're sitting their guys against us. They want us the following week. But I do think the Steelers have such a big brother mentality. I also wouldn't write off the Steelers beating the Browns next week. I don't think it's right. A, I, That's the thing too. It could happen. I don't think it's a total. I don't think it's a total write off. I will say it seems like it's 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 going to be tougher because the Browns going to be very motivated uh, after that bad Jets performance and getting their wide receivers back and get, needing to get right. Um, but it'll be it certainly will be interesting. It's a it's a fun thing to think about. All right. I, that's what yeah. my thoughts on the AFC are. Is there anything else you want to add in the AFC? I, I don't think I I see the scenarios playing out any differently than what you kind of outlined yeah. there. So I think we're good on the AFC for now. Obviously, next week, once these games are, are locked in and once we have the official playoff picture, um, that's going to be really fun because now we're going to have everything set in stone and we can focus on each individual playoff matchup. Yep. Let's move to the NFC then. So... Uh, the NFC, uh, there are only three berths available as we have five or four spots locked up already. The Packers, 
uh, at the one seed at 12 and three currently. I don't believe they have locked no, up that one the seed. One though, seed because the Saints, not the Saints could get it. So could the, the Saints so, could get it. So could the, the Seahawks. Lose. Oh, right. Yes, absolutely. So we have a three-way uh, battle for the one seed there with the, uh, with the Packers currently holding the advantage by a game. They are 12-3. and three. Saints, 11-4. and four. Seattle, 11-4 at the three spot. And then you round it out with a current five seed in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and they have clinched a playoff berth as well. The only team that has not... Uh, in terms of divisional standings, is anyone in the NFC East. Uh, right now, Washington still has the NFC East division, um, but it's become a little bit more cloudy now, so that's why uh, the Cowboys and the Giants remain on the bubble right now uh, because they are within striking distance. Uh, Cowboys are 6-9 and nine currently, Giants are 5-10, and 10, but Washington's there as the current four seed. But Tampa, as the five seed, has still locked up a playoff berth. Rounding out the other two, the Rams come in at, as the six seed. They are nine and six. Uh, tough loss to Seattle this past week. That's kind of put them in this position down a spot. Bears right now have that playoff berth because they have that um, that tiebreaker over Arizona. The Bears at eight, eight and seven are number seven. Arizona's number eight at eight and seven. So. They are right there on the heels of the Bears. Obviously, Bears taking on the Packers this week. That's going to be a, a, a prime matchup to watch this uh, this week because the Bears also are one of those teams. To be honest, that like you don't they're, they're on a hot streak right like right now. I don't think they're a team that you're excited to face going into the postseason. I would much rather play Washington than Chicago. So. Or, or any NFC East team for that matter. Well, let's start with some of the other matchups. We'll obviously get to the Bears. I have a lot of thoughts on what, what's going to happen there. Uh, let's, let's, let's start with the NFC East uh, because this, it's, it's pretty simple. Washington, they win, they're in. Now, Washington, the NFL is so mean. They did. I love what the NFL did with the Sunday night football schedule. I thought it was really smart of them. The only guarantee they knew to move to Sunday night football was the NFC East. So Washington versus Philly, final game of the year, uh, regular season. So if Washington beats Philly, they're in. It looks like Alex Smith is on track to start that game. If not, they have that kid Heineke, who played well, came and played really well. We'll talk about Dwayne Haskins later. Um, so that's Sunday Night Football. Now, the other game is the Cowboys-Giants. And I also love what the NFL's done with all this divisional opponents the final two weeks. It's, it's just so good uh, this season. Yeah. So Cowboys-Giants, the winner of that game will be waiting to see what happens in Washington-Philly. So let's start with Cowboys-Giants. Who do you think wins that game and puts themselves in the position to be watching Sunday night football wearing Eagles hats? Uh, at this point, I'm going to take uh, – Cowboys to win this game. Um, I just feel like they have they they've start they've put things together in the past couple weeks, and they've they've shown you know flashes of um, you know an ability to put up points. You know they they put up thirty seven this past week, forty one the week before, thirty the week before. They're on a three game winning streak. I'm taking that team over a down and out Giants team that has really been on a downward spiral. Now, this could easily play out either way because they're both relatively poor teams. Uh, and New York's hosting it, and they want to go out on a high note. And Daniel Jones, 
you know, wants to wants to end the season with some sort of, you know, positive take to end the year with. But it's been a rough year for both squads. Uh, I'm just going to take in terms of this matchup at this point of the season, I'm going to take a team that has more to play for because the Cowboys have a better um, pathway to a divisional title than the Giants do. And they're on a roll lately. So I, it's, it's just for that reason alone, I'm going to take Dallas. It seems like a long time ago, it was uh, week 13, the Giants upset Seattle with Colt McCoy. So what happens the next week? They come back yep. against the Cardinals. They they put Daniel Jones back in there too early, gets obliterated. They lose 26-7. to Week 15, they go back to Colt McCoy. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, the magic is dead. They lose to the Browns 20-6 to on Sunday night football. Then they go back to uh, to uh, uh, Daniel Jones last week. Uh, and, you know, it's a bloodbath against a Ravens team that is a way better football team than them right now that has been playing. Uh, they are the hottest team in football, and the, I think the scariest team in wildcard weekend, as I've already mentioned. Uh, so I don't really know how to assess the Giants right now. Daniel Jones looked fairly healthy against that Ravens team, but that's a, that's a, that's a team you're just not going to beat, especially the way they're playing. And you got down so early, you could only run the ball 12 times. If you're the giants, 12 rushing attempts, it just wasn't good. And so I don't really know how to feel about the giants. I, as you mentioned, I do know how to feel about the Cowboys now. And I feel pretty good about the Cowboys. This game is in New Jersey. Dallas is favored early by three. I will lean on the Cowboys as well. Now, either way, I too strangely feel as though whoever wins that game is going to win the NFC East. I, I I feel very strange about Washington in Philadelphia Sunday night football, Jalen Hurts ending his season on a bang. Here's my only concern about that. Washington's defensive line is insanely good. If Hertz can move enough and keep plays alive long enough, Washington's backfield, their defensive backs, are hot garbage. They are hot, hot garbage. So it's an interesting matchup. If Hertz, if Hertz can buy enough time to actually hit receivers downfield, I like Philly a lot in that game. The only other thing I'll say about that, Dan, is Washington, I don't know what type of ins- – they could be really playing inspired football if Alex Smith is starting, and I'm sure there's a lot of players in that locker room who are very happy that Dwayne Haskins isn't there anymore. And that distraction and the preferential treatment, the babying that he went underwent. So who knows? You know, they could almost get like the coach firing bump. You know what I mean? When, so it's interesting to say, as of right now, if you had to – Make me choose. I think Sunday night by midnight, the Dallas Cowboys will be hosting the Tampa Bay Bucks in what will be an amazing game for the networks. Tom Brady in Dallas with Tampa. That's what I, I'd like to see as a fan because I think the ratings on that will be fun. I think the storylines will be amazing. Skip Bayless will be on all-time takes all week long. <laughs> we'll get some juiciness from that. Uh, so I'll go on a limb. I'll say that, but I don't think the Giants win. I think it's either Dallas or Washington squeaks out a win in Philly. That being said, um, 
you know, should Washington win and, and take on Tampa, that's uh that's kind of bad news for Tom Brady and company because his Achilles heel is a dominant pass rush. Yeah. Like, you know, the the Washington that could be an interesting game and the storyline would be Alex Smith not only comeback player of the year, but like brings Washington to an actual divisional it's title. Huge. That would be wild as well. So I think it's a win win either in either setup. Um, if you're if you're Tampa, though, but I agree. You would, if you're Tampa, though, you would argue though the last team you want is Washington, right? You'd rather Correct. New York yeah, yeah. or or, or yeah. Dallas. They'd rather play Dallas for sure, no question. All right. No question. Uh, so since we're in agreement there, Dan, let's move then to the Saints and the Seahawks. So the Saints, uh, they obviously are looking to win for the chance for them to have a, still a chance at the one seed or to lock up a two seed. Who has the inside track for the two seed? Is it Seattle or, I mean, obviously Green Bay has the inside track for the one seed. If Green Bay, I think, loses, I think they lock up the two, right? Or could they fall to the three? It depends if, okay, hold on. I, I need to I need to look. New Orleans this, is playing in totally Carolina. Sure. I think New Orleans wins fairly handily in Carolina Carolina, a very good win for them against Washington. I think that's kind of their end of the season high note. I don't think you're going to get a letdown from the Saints in Carolina. So I like the Saints to win. And for the Seahawks, I think they're playing really good football right now, especially defensively. And they're in. So only Seattle can get. Uh, apparently, only Seattle can. Um has a, a decent shot to get the one seed because Green Bay clinches the first round by with a win or a Seattle loss. So if, if Green Bay falls to 12 and four, but Seattle loses, then they, get they the have, they, they get, no, they get the, they get the one because the first round by is only the one. So the one seed Green Bay can't so be the three seed. Green Bay cannot be the, well three then how seed. the hell can, can the Saints be, be the one seed? The Saints can be a one seed if both Seattle and Green Bay lose. But then C Green Bay and would be the two, Seattle would be Green, the three. Green Bay would be the two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um so, interesting. Yeah. So uh, well so let Or no 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 no. I'm sorry. If Seattle no, I guess I guess <laughs> New Orleans can't be. I guess New Orleans they New Orleans would have to win. They would need Seattle to also win and Green Bay to lose. So they have the tiebreaker over Seattle, but they don't have the tiebreaker over Green gotcha. Bay. Gotcha. That's what it is. So, if, That's what so it is. the only way New Orleans gets the one is if Seattle wins and Green Bay loses. Correct. And New that's Orleans their wins. Only path. And New Orleans and, has yeah. to win. So yeah. that's interesting enough because New Orleans has the Panthers and Seattle has the Niners. Do you think either the Niners or the Panthers get a win in those games? Now, remember... The Seattle Niners game is in Arizona. Right, right. I I don't see the uh, the Niners getting a win in this one. Um, I actually feel I actually feel a little bit better about the Panthers for some reason. I just um, it's on the road um, in Carolina, and they have a run game. And what Carolina has kind of done all year is just keep the ball away from opposing offenses. I mean, that's kind of been their biggest goal. It's it's obviously not going to be easy. Like the Saints are favored by a touchdown, they should be. Um, I think in terms of w what's more likely to happen, I feel like Seattle is it really hitting its stride right now. Yeah, the, everything's been working like the past two weeks. Uh, the run game, especially defense, playing a lot better. They're probably going to be 
playing against C.J. Beathard, I imagine, or, you know, they're, they're going to be playing against a backup quarterback in one way or another. It'll be C.J. Beathard um, for sure. Just a, 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 yeah, so it's just a banged-up group overall in, in San Fran. Uh, and, and Seattle playing for the one seed. There's a lot more to it. Now, Saints playing for the one seed um, legitimately on the road because I don't know if you could really say – I mean, Seahawks are on the road, but so are the 49ers in this game, um, essentially. So um, the, the Panthers, I think, match up a little bit better, and they've played teams really close this year. They have eight games that they've lost by one possession. So eight of their ten losses have been one possession, yeah. which is crazy. So they, they, they could take – anything could happen in those situations. Uh, I just feel like they're maybe better positioned for some sort of spoiler here late in the season than San Fran is. And if you're San Fran, you want – at this point, San Fran, you should just want the higher pick at this point. Like, there's no – Yeah. Really not uh, much Beating the, the Cardinals the was anyway, a nice but. feather in the cap to end the season. Um, and I, and I, I – personally, so if I'm making a prediction, I think New Orleans and Seattle both win. Which means that New Orleans would get the two over Seattle, right? New Orleans uh, would get the two over Seattle because they do have the tiebreaker okay, over so Seattle. So that yes. would be so in my in my world right now, I I would have I would have New Orleans and and Seattle winning. Uh, if yeah. I had to predict, so now which, which still just puts which still just puts um, uh, Seattle. We, we, they stay in their same spots. Then, so, well, we haven't t- we right? haven't talked Green Bay yet. Because, we haven't talked Green Bay. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. The, let's if move Green on Bay- to the Rams versus Arizona. Now, this is going to be interesting. We've got word today that uh, Goff had surgery in his thumb. Goff's out. This game is in L.A. because the Rams uh, because the Niners are in Arizona, but that's that. This is that, that that's not the reason. They was scheduled to be in L.A. anyways. Kyler Murray is questionable with a lower leg injury. He got hurt in that last play of the game. I think the Rams win regardless. The the Arizona has looked very sloppy. Besides that win against the Giants in which Daniel Jones was not ready to go, and I do think you're going to see an extraordinarily inspired Rams team playing with what they could be either this kid from like the what the AAF or uh Blake Bortles was announced he signed and if I'm the Rams I would trust Bortles he was Goff's backup all last year he's been with Denver now the majority yeah. of the season so he's football ready he's football in shape and Bortles has been in bigger spots and has a lot more NFL passes I don't Maybe it's just the homer in me as a Bears fan knowing that as long as the Cardinals lose, the Bears are in. I just I have a good feeling about the Rams in this game um, committing now with without Goff and having to worry about Goff and his numbers or what you do with the offense with Goff. I think you're going to see a Sean McVay that outcoaches a Cliff Kingsbury in a, in a must-win for both teams even though he's down his star quarterback. I have that feeling. I trust the Rams more in this spot. What do you say? I think the Cardinals win this game. I I just don't trust a, a backup quarterback. That's Regardless of the familiarity with the offense, you're still, you still got to get back up to speed in one way or another. And to do it in a week's time, 
is a bit difficult. Uh, I think they're going to be limited. They're going to have to be able to run the ball well. And the Cardinals, the Cardinals have a um, porous defense, but an opportunistic one at the same time. So I, I think this is a game where Blake Bortles throws a couple picks, you know, and in that situation, I'm going to give the Cardinals the edge. I don't think it's going to be a pretty game for either no, team. I agree. I, I don't think, I think this is pretty ugly. And my guess is it's actually probably pretty close scoring. Um, I just see I, I'd if give it's the edge low scoring. I like I like the Rams better. I like Aaron Donald to make a play. I think that uh, I think and I think they have the I better coach. I mean, I I don't have any faith in Cliff Kingsbury. They do, but it's if you're playing one team's got everyone and the other team's got some some people rested. But if Kyler's you know, not one hundred percent, and if it really is a lower leg injury, well, I that's think what it'll boil down to. He will. Pl- yeah. I think he will play, and I think if he's not able to move, especially against that Rams front where Leonard Floyd's been playing very good, and and Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald. I I just think the best unit then on the field is that Rams defense, and they have the better coach, and they're at home. I I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't like the Rams to go far in the playoffs. I, I have faith. I have a little more faith in the Rams, and maybe that is my homer brain convincing myself that I have faith in the Rams. And it is so incredibly mean of the NFL to put the Rams on at the same time as the Bears game because then I won't know what I need from the Bears. I'll be flipping back and forth like a madman. And let's get into it, Dan. Packers in Chicago. Bears win, they're in. Packers win, they get the one seed. If the Packers lose, they need both. If the Packers lose, how do they get the one seed still? If the Packers uh, lose, we just they, they get this. the one seed if Seattle loses. So it wouldn't matter because even they, if they, they have the tiebreaker over New Orleans. Basically, New Orleans doesn't matter to, to Green Bay. Okay. Because regardless of what happens to New Orleans, they have the tiebreaker over them. They already have a game up on them, so the best they could hope for is a tie, and they already win that. So really, so New Orleans only is only the one win, or the three. That's yeah, that's basically their okay. only their only shot because they they can only get that one seed if everything happens perfectly in one scenario. So they they, they need Green Bay to lose, and they need Seattle to win, and then they need to also take care of business. But it's Seattle has has an, an opposite need because they they need Green Bay to lose, but they also um, need New Orleans to yeah. lose, and then they need to win. So, they, oh, I mean, the, it's it's happening. Yeah, there's there's a lot all of right. different situations all revolving around that one seed, but basically New Orleans is it has the probably the worst chance of the three at this point. So, Dan, here's what I'm going to say. So, right, so this is – here we go. I I predicted at the beginning of the year that the Bears would make the playoffs as the at, at 10 and 6 as the 7th seed. I had the Bears or I maybe I had them as the 6th seed or whatever. I had Seattle as the number 1 overall seed in the NFC. I I'm sticking to that. I think the, <laughs> right. I think the Bears win and get in. And 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 Here's why. I believe at this point in time that the Bears are playing a brand of football 
that they should have been playing with ever since they hired Matt Nagy. I do think it has taken two and a half years of ups and downs for Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, and Mitchell Trubisky to realize this is the best way for this group of Chicago Bears to win and operate. It's taken them a long time to figure it out, but they have figured it out. Matt Nagy is in his own way Mike Tomlin. He's the CEO. He is a, a, a guy who can create things, who can be creative, but he should not be in charge of when those plays are called. I think Bill Lazor is a great offensive coordinator for Mitchell Trubisky. I also think that Matt Nagy is a, is a really great motivator, and I think he has a team that, that guys buy into what he says. I don't think Matt Nagy is great um, at evaluating talent at all times, but I think he has guys around him, and he's now really listening to them and let go of the controls to where he's got guys who know what they're doing with Chuck Pagano and his bendo break defense and Bill Lazar and knowing what to do with Mitchell Trubisky and the run game. I will say this. The Bears' offensive line has been playing very good. Uh, I think they match up well against the Packers' defensive front. I will say this. I think that Mitchell Trubisky has a lot more to play for than Aaron Rodgers in this game. And I know you're saying, Mark, that's stupid. The, the Packers, they you know, they know they, they, they want the one seed. And that is a lot to play for. But Mitchell Trubisky is legitimately playing for a contract for his NFL future. And he's playing very good football overall. I also think this Bears defense is due for a really big game against their rival. This game is in Chicago. Weather mute point for both teams. I have I am talking myself into this. Now I am fully prepared, and you can follow me on Twitter, you guys all know, for Sunday at 325 for Aaron Rodgers to rip my heart out, Kali Ma Shuck the Day style, take a bite out of it, poop on it, and shove it back in my chest and watch me die. I'm fully prepared for that. But that's why I've also convinced myself <laughs> that Blake Bortles and the Rams are going to save my ass on the other side. <laughs> They're going to save go. my ass. There you go. I, I'm, I'm going all in on the fact that the I, I'm going all in the fact that Seattle will be the one seed, Green Bay is the two, uh, uh, that uh, New Orleans will be the three. Uh, I'm going to take the Cowboys at the four. And then I believe that you will see um, Tampa Bay at the five, the Rams at the six, Chicago at the seven, and I get Chicago Green Bay in Green Bay, baby. Let's go! Let's go! <laughs> and I'll cry again, but we'll have that fun talking about something. it. That would be something. Oh, I, listen, <laughs> if you had the Browns next week and I had the and I had Bears at Packers, Browns at Steelers, man, let's go. This show this show would be wild, you know. We we would double double our profits on that. Because show. if the Packers no beat the Bears, then I get what? Bears at Saints if or Bears at Seahawks? And if I'm a Bears fan, and I am, I would rather play the Saints than the Seahawks. I want that on record. I would rather play yeah. the Saints than the Seahawks. I think my defensive line can get make Drew Brees uncomfortable. I like I like that the, there's no weather as a factor at all. 
I like the mobility that Mitchell brings against the pass rush of New Orleans. And I think that New Orleans doesn't have the ability to take deep shots and the Bears can sit on routes, the strength of their defense, then uh, the weakness of the Bears' defense is going over top, and Russell Wilson can do that. I don't want to play Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. Um, so I'll say that, and uh, and that's my thoughts on the NFC. That's my prediction. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. Honestly, I, I kind of – I'm really excited to watch the Bears-Packers game regardless, but – um, and we'll we'll see if I actually get it out here. That's the bummer about moving it is the number one. It's the, the Fox America's game of the week. Okay, okay, because the, well, that's the the one question because the other Fox game is Carolina and New Orleans, and since Local, we're in yeah. the Carolinas, they probably are going to show that one. Probably, you're screwed. Uh, even and especially with New Orleans being a Southern region. They, and, and with playoff implications still for them. Is there a bar? Start there, calling your local bars be. and find one <laughs> that has that has the NFL Sunday ticket and get in there. Yeah, and then I'll just you – know, I had to do that to two weeks ago. <laughs> I had to do that two weeks ago with uh, when the Chiefs and the Bears were both on uh, on CBS. I get – we I'm, so, yeah. I'm closer to Kansas City where I'm at, even though I'm in Illinois, and we're in Chiefs country down here. So I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, I think it'll be a great game. Um, and, look, I mean, the, Bear, the Bears can win it. I mean, they really can. If, if their defense is able to shut down Aaron Rodgers, at, at least uh, not completely shut him down. You know, no one's going to do that. But get a pick. I mean, take advantage. The, of, like, the, if, you can, they, if you can win the turnover battle or something. They can't lose in the running game. The Bears have to outrush no, the Packers, no. and the Bears have to make it make Aaron throw more. And you think that's crazy. No, no, take the ball in Aaron's hand. I honestly think the way the Bears right, win well, you that make game them one-dimensional. is they can't let Aaron Jones and this kid Dylan now, the second-round pick, who's you know it, it went off against Tennessee, that can't – they will lose. The Bears will lose if the Packers can get the play-action pass going. They will. They absolutely will lose. The Bears can win this game if you get Aaron into five wide – and he's got a dink and dunk and, and and get the ball out of his hands quick against that pass rush. The Bears can win that game. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that'll be so, one of the premier matchups to look for. And and if that's the case, like you mentioned, you know. Um, what's your NFC prediction beat, then? Why well, I, I give so, mine so, one through one through seven, and what do you think? So I, I, I agree with you that I think New Orleans and Seattle both win as well, which – which then puts you in a situation where um, Seattle and New Orleans are both twelve and four. I I still think the Packers win this game. I'm not so I'll 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 have the Packers as the one seed there. Um, I have the Saints then uh, as the the two seed at twelve and four. Seattle stays at the three seed at uh, at twelve and four. Four seed is I'm gonna go Washington. I still think Washington pulls this one out and wins this division as the at the four seed at seven and nine, which will put us then at Tampa five, Tampa Bay at five. Rams. Well, you said the Cardinals win. Rams lose. I think the Rams lose. So the so Cardinals would be the six. Cardinals then would 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 jump to that six spot. Rams be seven. Uh, and then. Um, Rams would be seven. Yeah, yeah. Because the Rams have the so tiebreaker over the Bears. If the Bears and Rams both lose, 
the Rams are in. Correct. And I don't want that to be the case. I would love I would love the Bears to sneak in here. I just it's gotta it's it's all right. Hey, you know, we yeah, are you gotta we, beat Aaron Rodgers. Agree it's on really the, tough. We agree on the AFC <laughs> completely. We have some disagreements in the NFC and we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. No, it just should be a, a good one regardless. Um so yeah, that is our current playoff outlook, and obviously we will have a much more clear picture uh come next week's show, so that'll be exciting as well. We'll actually be able to uh to pour through each matchup and get ready for that, which I'm just really looking forward to the postseason. It, it's been, um, you know, we never thought that the season was going to be here in the first place or that we'd be able to get to the playoffs. And now that we are, it's gone by quick as every NFL season does. But at the same time, man, I do feel like it's been a marathon. It has. Like, I, I'm like, I'm like, wow, like there's so much has happened. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy how, how long it's been. I mean, we're talking September, the first week of September. So it's, we're three and a half months into this. And thing. I never liked, I really never loved the idea of adding the seventh seed in the playoffs. And I think overall, if you would have never changed it, I think I would have been happy. But now as I'm getting closer to it, the intrigue, think about how many more teams were at play. Think about how much more we had to discuss there. Also, yeah. I do think that on both sides of the bracket, the seventh seed could win a game. Like they could get an upset. It's not like we're talking about Notre Dame, Alabama, where it would take a miracle for Notre Dame to beat Alabama. I mean, I do think there's some more parity in the NFL. I also think that um, I, I also think that uh, the battle for having only one bye is really huge, and that will it will it will motivate teams like Green Bay to play their starters. Green Bay could say, "Well, screw it, we already going to get the one or the two, so we're going to have a bye." It's going to really motivate these teams, as you're seeing, uh, to play hard, to sure. keep battling uh, for that one seed, for that bye. I also think that when you look at Wild Card Weekend in, in uh, a week and a half from now, Dan, as opposed to just the two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday, now we get three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. I think that opens the slate more. You have a noon, a three, and a seven kickoff here Central Time, and I think more football in that way is is just great. I can't wait. It's good for the league, and and they'll like you mentioned those week seventeen matchups will have more eyeballs on them because they matter more. So, uh, I agree, it's good for the league, and um, it does provide some interesting things. I mean, you open the door for any team, and we've seen in the past the unlikeliest of teams can make a run and get to the Super Especially Bowl. Especially the AFC. Before, and um, correct right now, yeah, yeah. There's so many good yeah. teams there. So, um. Before we get to our headlines, which, you know, we'll just touch on quickly as, you know, we, we pretty much uh, broke down every matchup. Um, the bold strategy, Cotton, real quick. Uh, obviously, the, w- some of the big news in terms of any move that a team made was Washington releasing Dwayne Haskins. Just, uh, just over a week ago, caught um, not following COVID protocols, out celebrating after a loss uh, at a strip club, no mask. Uh, around a bunch of other people with no mask, putting his team at risk. And, um, you know, the team announced Ron Rivera, you know, put out a message saying, you know, uh, I think it's best for both teams if we just move on. It, it's a bold strategy in the fact that, look, this is a guy that was drafted, what was it, uh, 15th overall in 2019. Washington, you know, really hoping he was their quarterback of the future. Obviously, that didn't pan out, and that was kind of, noticeable pretty quickly Ron Rivera then comes in and I think we all kind of thought that this isn't 
I don't think this is Ron Rivera's guy, you know, and this isn't someone that I think he wants to build around. They maybe were just able to use this as a crutch to kind of have an excuse to release him. Uh, but at the same token, he didn't do himself any favors. And, you know, maybe it's best for him as well to just move on and, and get out of there. Well, I think it's a bold strategy just because it's setting a precedent. But I do think, Dan, it's not totally unheard of in the NFL. Josh Rosen. Uh, exactly. I also think when you look back at, like, Jamarcus Russell, by the end of his second year, it was done. Uh, there, there is a There is a precedent for it. But I do think... Like we talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, the no-look pass and and the one-handed catches from OBJ and Patrick Mahomes setting a trend. I do think from here on out, is the NFL's changed. It's different. It's a different league right now with young quarterbacks having success early. And seeing that it factor, seeing that pop, and also what is demanded out of young quarterbacks. So I do think... That from here on out, you're going to see teams taking shots more on young quarterbacks because you see the blueprint to, blueprint to win. The rookie deal structure changed it all. When you don't have to pay Sam Bradford $100 million anymore because he negotiates it and it sets a cap that, hey, your first row overall pick, you're only going to be making $30, $40 million. It's still a lot of money, but it's not going to totally kill your cap. The teams now say we can win Super Bowls and win conference championships and win divisions with a rookie quarterback and spending the money elsewhere if you get that pick right. Higher scrutiny on these guys, higher pressure, and if they crack at all, it's easier to cut them and move on because there's more guys available. Think about how many young quarterbacks there are going to be five guys taken in the first round this year that all deserve a chance to say, hey, that guy could look like it from Trevor Lawrence to Justin Fields to Trey Lance to Mac Jones to Kyle Trask to the kid from BYU, that's six guys I just listed there that all look like that's a first-round quarterback in today's NFL. 20 years ago, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, that's it. T today, yeah. in 2020, 2021, you got six guys who that's a first-round quarterback who does, and what we see with first-round quarterbacks – you start them. You start them right away or during their rookie year. So I think it's a precedent center. And if I'm an NFL team, why would I waste my breath on Dwayne Haskins? I asked you on Twitter, who gives him a chance? Maybe a team with a really solid culture who's looking for a guy to be a long-term backup uh, or to maybe push their starter a little bit. But I, I, that's very few and far between. I, I think this is a uh, – it's sad for Dwayne. Hopefully he invested his money right. Uh, but – I got no, I got no use for him if I'm an NFL team right now. I, I don't see the fit for him. Yeah, there's there's less patience now more than ever in NFL teams, and that's that you know that's in large part due to the cap structure, due to the competition rising, all of the young quarterbacks as you mentioned. And look, I mean, you get early tape on these guys, and you're able to identify very quickly whether or not these guys are going to be able to make it. You know, there were times in the past where it's like. You know, a quarterback uh, didn't look like like Peyton Manning in his first year. Yeah, didn't look like like he was going to be a franchise quarterback necessarily. You know, nowadays it's like you know within a couple games if you've got your guy. Like it it, it happens that quickly. So I think uh, the way the game has evolved, uh, there's just less risk for the teams, and there's less um, 
urgency to stick with someone. There's less pressure to stick with someone. If you know quickly, man, this guy hasn't really won games. We haven't seen the it factor. You just move on. You take your – and it's more about accepting. You know, pride has often, you know, been the destruction of a lot of teams in the past. We think of the Al, um, Al Davises uh, of the world and, you know, Jerry Jones, Dan Snyders, who are – their pride gets in the way of them being able to accept – wrong choices totally. and the quicker you move off of stuff the better you're able to deal with it and get in the right direction moving forward i think that's what washington's doing here they have an old quarterback they don't have the quarterback of the future yet but they're accepting that and they're going to figure it out sooner than also later. dan it's just a fact these young quarterbacks have a lot more to deal with today peyton manning Absolutely. and those guys yeah. uh, they, i'm sure at 21 22 years old they were going out to strip clubs. It's not the strip club thing that's a problem to me. It's not like it's the it's the fact that it's such a bad look at the moment. Like you and if you're a defensive back, I'm you're sorry, but I'm sorry, but all these young guys want to play quarterback now, right? Because that's where the money is and the athletes and all things. But look at a guy like Lamar Jackson. Look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Look at a guy like Justin Herbert. Even a guy who you could say is cocky like a Joe Burrow. The level of maturity you have to have, I'm sorry, it, the pressure, it comes with the position. You can be average maturity now, and you're not going to make it as an NFL quarterback. Dwayne Haskins probably has the average maturity of you or I or any other 22-year-old on the planet, especially one who's got millions of dollars in the bank. But I'm sorry, if you want the longevity of a starting quarterback in this league, you just have to have a, a higher sense of maturity and that's just not because the media, it's social media, it's people taking advantage of you. You have to have a good system around you. And that's the, I'm sorry, but that's what you have to now know. If you're a 12-year-old kid out there who's making the change from wide receiver to quarterback or running back to quarterback to, to go after that fame, that fortune, and what it will bring, you have to start knowing, I need to make the smartest decisions, and I need to mature at a quicker level. It's just the pressure that comes with the position of being the face of a multi-billion-dollar franchise. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It leads right, into Mark, my just, point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does. All right, perfect. well, then, then I'll, I'll, I'll hand you the reins. Then. Yeah, well, you know, Dan and I always talk before the show, and we say, hey, what's your headline going to be? And, and mine is uh, a team that we didn't talk about at all yet today is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Locking up the one seed and what this means. And and, and, and I, a lot of it builds off of what we just spent time talking about, Dan. Getting the one seed for Jackson, the one number one overall pick, I really do believe this is the best thing to happen for the NFL. You would argue, say, no, no, Mark. You want Trevor Lawrence in New York. New York's a bigger market. You want New York to be fine. New York and the New York Jets will always have fans. They will sell out. They will always have corporate sponsorships and filling up their boxes, and they will go 0-16 multiple times, and they will still have sellout gear. They'll sell out jerseys. It's New York. They're going to be fine. Now, whether they win games, that's not for me to worry about if I'm the NFL. That's what I'm talking about right now, right? For them to win games, it's not for me to worry about. But for Jacksonville, in what was you can I think you argue, and I think it is by population the second smallest market in the NFL uh, behind uh, the Green Bay Packers. Here is a franchise that there's no Jacksonville baseball team, there's no Jacksonville 
NHL team, if I'm not mistaken, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm right nope. there. There's no Jacksonville NBA team. That uh, is that is their their only cash cow, and they don't have enough Fortune 500 companies to constantly just sell out boxes, even if team, even if fans aren't buying. Getting the number one pick and and Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville is massive. It's massive. It's massive. It's massive for Trevor Lawrence because the pressure is completely off. Think about how much better Justin Herbert's been because of the lack of pressure being with the L.A. Chargers. You're the stepbrother, the redhead stepchild in L.A., uh, but you could argue, well, Mark, well, the Jets are the redhead stepchild in New York. Yeah, but the media and football in New York versus L.A., it's completely 180 different, the pressure. Also, the win-now mentality, it's never going to necessarily be there in in L.A. in the with the Chargers for Justin Herbert. It's the same thing with Jacksonville. Also, for Jacksonville, if for Trevor Lawrence, you start looking around and say, all right, so we're the AFC South. So you got Tannehill in in Tennessee. He's going to now be the veteran of that division. You would imagine that Indianapolis is gone from Phil Rivers this year, or maybe have one more year Phil Rivers, but they either take a draft stab, or maybe they do have to go after Carson Wentz. And then you have Deshaun Watson, who, by all accounts, Deshaun Watson is an otherworldly talent. And you would argue if you're building a franchise right now, I don't know if you'd pick four guys before you get to Deshaun Watson. He may be a top three pick for your quarterback of the future. But if Trevor Lawrence, those are all win scenarios. You you have le- less pressure to win. You're going up against franchises that don't have historic uh, multiple Super Bowls. There's no Steelers in your division. There's no New England Patriots in your division. There's no Niners. There's no Cowboys. There's no uh, uh, a bona fide franchise that is a winning franchise that always wins the division. There's no Green Bay Packers for you to constantly have to face. All of that's off. They feel lucky to have you. The Jets were like, no, 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 we're going to suck for you, and then you come in here and save us. Jacksonville's always been sucky, and they feel now like, wow, what a win, what a lucky win. If Trevor Lawrence goes 4-12, and 5-11, and 7-9 in his first three years, Jacksonville's still going to be happy, and they're not going to blame Trevor Lawrence for that. Uh, he's that type of talent. I don't think he will go that way because I think he's good enough to be better than that. But here's the bigger scope of what I'd argue and offer you, Dan. And again, this is all just me taking a shot in the dark. I was in England, in North London, at the brand new NFL-funded Tottenham Stadium that is the first ever NFL-funded and built purely for a football stadium stadium outside of the continental United States. When I was there, every local Londoner I ran into and talked to about the NFL London said, we want the Jags. We'll take the Jags. They know Shah Khan. He's not from here. He's a European. Shah Khan, the owner of the Jags, has, uh, has spends majority of his time in London. He makes his money, majority of his billions overseas. This is an opportunity for the NFL to say, We give you Trevor Lawrence in two, three, four years from now. And they make that move of NFL in Europe. And why is the NBA talking about adding two teams in expansion as Adam Silver was doing? 
because every one of these leagues is taking massive financial hits from COVID, even the NFL. Ticket sales are a massive, massive revenue share for all of these leagues. The NBA, easiest thing for them to do is just pop up two new franchises. Make it 32, 16 in each division. Give me a Western, give me an Eastern. For the NFL, easiest way for them to make money, relocation. You saw it with uh, the Chargers. You saw it with the Raiders. You saw it with the Rams. What can they do? We've already been teasing it. Set the stage now for Trevor Lawrence, sell jerseys, a foundational piece, and the sacrificial lamb for the NFL to take from Jacksonville, stick in London, and say, we give you a maybe the best or second. You could argue that Trevor Lawrence could be a top five quarterback in this league easy within the next three years on a level of Mahomes. Of uh, Laura, of uh, of Herbert, of Watson, of Josh Allen, these young quarterbacks, all in the AFC, mind you, and say we give you London, we give you the Jags. This is such a bigger win for them in the larger scope. Now they may not do it. Again, I'm talking about ass. I'm taking a shot in the dark, but I want it on record now that this is where my brain goes in the bigger sense of the Jags winning Trevor Lawrence. If the Jets win Trevor Lawrence. They waste him. He never really fulfills his potential. Maybe he makes an AFC championship or or two, but he'll never live up to Josh Allen and the culture they have in Buffalo. Will he ever really beat Mahomes and earn that? And he probably doesn't do that in Jacksonville. But I think there's more of a possibility for Trevor Lawrence to have a successful career in Jacksonville if he stays in Jacksonville and Jacksonville never moves to London. But he also is the key or the dangling fish that they can tout and say the NFL goes, We're making now the move from Jacksonville to London. I think it's huge for the NFL. I think it's a win for Trevor Lawrence. And I think it could be a win overall uh, for uh, for the NFL in their future. That's what I see when I see the Jags winning the number one overall pick this year. Yeah, it's... um... It seems like the writing's on the wall in terms of relocation there at some point. Whether it'll be Jacksonville, we're not sure. But I think it would be a shoe-in for them to call the team the London Lawrence. <laughs> that, that would just be, why not? Oh. Why not? Go all I think they'd keep the Jags. I think they'd keep the Jags name. <laughs> no, they probably Because will. I think that plays yeah. over there. And, and, you know, it is interesting, sure. Dan. I will say, I was there watching the Bears lose to the Raiders with Chase Daniel and drinking very expensive beers. And I, I'm talking to these guys, all the people around me. And because I was the lone American in my section, of course, they're all like, you know, they wanted to chat you up. And every one of them said, oh, we totally support the Jags. We we would love, love, love to have the Jags here. And I and I, yeah. and I think if you give them a good product with a star quarterback, it's a possibility. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but there's more to it for the NFL, I think, to think about now. And, and it's a win for the NFL that Trevor Lawrence is going to be not in New York, but in Jacksonville. That's the best way for them to make it work is if you, you, you relocate and you, you're cushioned by the fact that you have a star player to, to help put the microscope and the eyeballs over there. I think that uh, it's a good point, and that would, um, that would definitely be a great start to a new franchise or to a new um, uh, location, if you will, in the NFL. All right, Mark, so uh, you talked about the Jaguars. I'm going to talk about the, uh, an AFC East team, the Miami Dolphins. And how they really have 
almost been perfect in terms of how they have built this program uh, and, and executed a rebuild in such a massively short amount of time. I mean, it's really impressive how just in a couple years uh, they have gone from being one of the worst teams in the NFL to now a potential playoff team, and not just a potential playoff team, but a potential five seed, not just someone squeaking into a to a seventh or, or a sixth seed. So um, obviously, I think this has all all to do with Brian Flores almost exclusively. Although obviously, the front office has done a great job as well. I, I think back to 2019 when they get Brian Flores on board. One of their biggest moves: they deal Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills to the Houston Texans. They get a 2020 and 2021 first round picks from them, as well as a 21 second round selection. That year, they draft um, two. They're, the next year, they go on and, and draft two on number five overall uh, with that 2020, uh, with their 2020 first round pick. Then they end up trading that number 26 pick that they had to Green Bay in exchange for Green Bay's first rounder and also stack up and get a fourth rounder later on while only moving down four spots. Um, the middle of that 2019 season, by the way, they deal Minka for uh, Fitzpatrick for a first round and a fifth-round pick from Pittsburgh. They ended up drafting uh, an offensive tackle in 2020 with that number 18 pick from Pittsburgh. So start to build the foundation of your team. You got rid of Laramie Tunsil. We're going to replace him with a new young first-round tackle. On top of that, we're going to get our quarterback of the future in Tua Tungvaluwa, and we're going to stack picks in the fourth and fifth rounds so that we can actually just build a roster uh, with some of these. Now, on top of it, you're thinking, well, midway through 2019, as uh, before you even make those picks, well, you got to probably tank in order to continue doing that. Well, not, no, not really. And, and that's not what they did. They ended up winning five of their last nine games. They got stronger and built uh, a team that was hungry for victories. And Brian Flores, with a no-nonsense culture that he had built that early on, was saying, no, we're not just going to sit back and take losses here to get a higher pick. So they win five of the last nine. They're still able to draft two at number five there and so on and so forth and get all of the picks and draft that I mentioned. Then in the off season, going into this year, they signed several free agents, tons of them, uh, including Kyle Van Oy, uh, Byron Jones, one of the bigger picks, Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, uh, and, and uh, Alandon Roberts. It goes down the list. A lot of, of course, former new England Patriots in there. Um, not many flashy names outside of Byron Jones, really, but they really wanted to build somewhat of the core of the team and, uh, and solid depth at key defensive positions. And that's exactly what they did. That has resulted in the top scoring defense right now in 2020. Um, lots of young talent to build around, including some of those foundational pieces that came from systems that didn't tank systems that didn't even know what that was. Uh, especially in New England there. And they have since really built that culture around Brian Flores in a year and a half. In a year and a half, they went from down and out, worst team ever, not ever, obviously, but you know what I mean, uh, to stacking first-round picks, using those first-round picks wisely and not blowing them away, but not getting ahead of themselves and outthinking themselves they got what they needed at those positions 
You got the 26 overall pick. You traded Green Bay. Uh, we'll move four spots down, and then we'll stack a fourth rounder. They're doing it the right way in Miami. And here they are, not even having to pay for it and doing the right way. You'd think like a team that that really uh, stacks picks and gets some of these uh, higher echelon free agents or, you know, in the Byron Jones, like able to get a big pick like that, able to get the salary cap. You got to dump everything. You get rid of Minka somehow in a year's time after doing all of that and getting rid of Laramie Tunsil and all of these, these core pieces, they have created a situation where they are competing for a five seed right now and have the top defense or one of the top defenses in all of the national football league. And going into next year, they have a projected cap of plus 17 million. And that is with an estimation that the cap is going to be at the lowest projection at 175 because of the COVID uh, hit that the league has taken this year. So even with the most conservative projection, they still have 17 million next year to make even more free agent signings. And they're in a position where they still have stacked picks. They still have that 2021 second round pick from Houston, which is going to be a top three pick. Oh, and by the way, they have a top three first round pick as well from Houston because of how bad Houston has been this year. Right now, they sit at number three. That's how you do it right there. And that's how Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins are going to be a force in the AFC, not just the AFC East, for years to come because of what they have done in just a two-year period. They certainly, you're absolutely right, have built the right way and should be the model for any team looking to start over and and, and see what they did. Took advantage of bad GMs making bad decisions with trades uh, with Houston. They took advantage of them. And and there's there's other suckers out there. Houston wasn't the only ones you could do that with. I will say, I think one of the underrated parts of your argument, too, is the culture thing. And Detroit tried really hard to do that with Matt Patricia and, like, bringing in New England guys. But the thing is, Miami did it with guys who weren't just New England guys. Obviously, Kyle Van Noy. We mentioned some of the other names there. They brought in other guys that just were from other winning cultures or winning players stuck in a bad culture. And when you have a lot of young guys, and obviously I think Fitzpatrick deserves a lot of credit as well for being a locker room guy in Miami, I think – the other thing you have to realize too is when Miami's good, they are they're when they're when they're bad, they're a free agent destination. When they're good, they're gonna be even more of a free agent destination. You tell me I can That's move to point. Miami, yep. no state tax, second glamorous city in the country behind LA, and I, I, I can win football games, not just suck. Count me in. I think Miami, you're absolutely right. Their biggest problem is that 6'6", rocket-armed Josh Allen in Buffalo for the next couple of years. I mean, and right, and how does New England deterrent. rebuild, which I know that leads us with New England into our, our what-if. Yeah, yeah. So, the, I mean, the question really is, uh, what, what does uh, what if New England, like, didn't do the Cam Newton experiment? Because, obviously, it's gotten them now to the 6-9 and nine spot. Uh, probably going to be 7-9 and nine by the season's end. Um but Jared Stidham obviously had to ins- be inserted into the game uh, against Buffalo. He, it's not the first time that's happened this year. It's just like, you know, what What if they just kind of stuck? They, they didn't lose anything in terms of money-wise going with Cam this past year. He signed a veteran minimum deal. But it's just, you know, what 
what would the situation be in if they were able to just roll with Stidham, one, see what they got in him, which, I mean, I know, I'm sure they already knew, but you test him out for a year. Meanwhile, best case scenario, if he's not remotely good, is that you're going to get a top four or five pick. Right right now, they're in the middle tier, really not going to be in contention for a top three, maybe even a top four quarterback coming into this draft class. I mean, what say you in terms of, uh, how they maybe could have played this better, or did they play it fine and, you know, they bring Newton back next year and just try to take their shot at one of those lower-end quarterbacks in the middle, middle? Well, I think they played it the way that they had to. Bill Belichick is never going to be the type of guy, and I think we've proven that this year, that will just say, well, we're not going to try this season. Let's go for the little shiny draft pick. You know what I mean? He's not going to be that. I also think that Bill Belichick did respect Cam Newton and did think, you know what? If anyone can get the most out of him, it would be us and give him a chance to see where it goes. I also think Bill Belichick wanted to make the playoffs. I think that was his goal. I think his goal was, I want to make the playoffs. And I think... Newton and that signing for as cheap as they got him, what was it, two million bucks, a million bucks? I mean, literally pennies. I think it was their best chance to say, hey, we're going to try and make a playoff run. And for a while, it was going seemingly well. Uh, COVID really hurt them as well, and COVID hurt Cam and getting COVID, and it threw them off, and they then could never catch back up. But when they had eight guys opt out of the season, you knew it was an uphill battle. And I think what if they didn't go with Cam? If they didn't go with Cam, I do think they'd be closer to a four-win team, not a six-win team. I do think that would have positioned themselves better. But I still think New England is going to be fine. They're going to get those eight guys back. As long as Bill Belichick's there, they will be able to convince guys for the culture. I do think, though, this leaves the door more open for them to say we don't want necessarily a rookie quarterback. Can we get a Carson Wentz? Can we get a Matt Stafford? Can we get a Jimmy Garoppolo? Those are the three names that come to my mind right away. Maybe can we get a Mitch Trubisky? I I don't know. But for them now to go for a rookie quarterback, unless they really like the kid from BYU or a Mac Jones who will be there around 12 or 13 they got to start wowing people with a trade offer in that top five. And I think there's teams that would take a wow offer. The problem is when you're the big bad boy in the block who's been so good for so long, there's a lot of teams that don't want to do New England any favors. And there's a lot of teams that don't want New England to get their next guy. Rightfully so. So they're not going to trade with Miami. They're not going to trade with the Jets. They ain't helping them. Can they find an NFC team who's willing to let them move up? It's not going to be uh, it's not going to be Atlanta who's high up there, so they're in a little trouble in that way. I think the best cho- chance for them would be, hey, D- Detroit, can you give us Stafford? And New England has a bevy of picks. I think they have two first rounders, multiple third rounders. Yeah, they got 12 total picks. Can they give a Detroit a bevy of picks for a Stafford and 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 if you're and if you're Detroit, you feel good about that cuz you don't have to play New England. You know wherever Stafford's go is going to have more success right away. 
Uh, and so I think that's the best chance for New England. What if they didn't get Cam? They'd be in a better spot to draft, but I don't even know if New England wants to draft. New- What's What are we to say that, that Bill Belichick wants a rookie quarterback? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Yeah, I, I, this is an impossible question because you're asking uh, – we're – we're asking ourselves here to answer questions that only Bill Belichick can answer and getting inside yeah. that mind, that guy's mind is probably the most difficult thing on the planet. So we have no idea how this will play out, um, but it will be fascinating. You're right. He was, they were close to the postseason. They get all those guys back. I mean, if they get those guys back and nothing else changes, they're probably a playoff team. So maybe they feel fine next year going into it with, uh, with cam and, and, and have a shot at a 10 and six type of record. Uh, but they're going to have Miami and Buffalo really breathing down their necks, and that's that's a lot of pressure now uh, for that team to take on. Um, all right, Mark. Well, we've we I think we may have hit a record here for the longest show, but hey, it's playoff prediction time. What better time to to kind of go through everything with the fine tooth uh, comb here? I I so. couldn't agree more, and I will just say this: <laughs> for me, my final point, I just wanted to be known the playoff bubble, the uh, the excuse me, the Super Bowl plane. Uh, now only has four teams in first class, and there's only one team in business class that I think has a that is so they're so close. They are like their head is in the curtain of first class, and they're being slightly <laughs> pulled back by a stewardess, and that is the Ravens. I think the Ravens. I have in the I have two teams from the AFC: the Bills and the Chiefs. I think can win the Super Bowl. Two teams: the NFC: the uh, the the Packers and the Seattle Seahawks. But my, I, I tell you what, Baltimore, their head is like he's re, he's like pulling the curtain back, and his and Lamar Jackson stuck his head through. I I think Baltimore, they're scary, and I wouldn't want to play Baltimore. That's for that's all I'll say. No, a very physical team, great defense, a dynamic offense. You never want to see any. Can't of that wait, in the playoffs, cannot so. wait for this weekend, Dan. We are. We're right there. I can't wait either. It's going to be fantastic. And then the following week, obviously, as you mentioned, getting getting the six games in two days. What a weekend that will be. Can't wait for it. And um, can't wait to talk about it either. Next week will be fun. Week after as we go well into uh, January. So uh, definitely an exciting uh, horizon here for the Football Lounge and for football fans across uh, the spectrum. So thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Stay safe, enjoy some football for Week 17, and uh, and let's hope for a great playoff outlook as we get ready for next week's episode. See y'all.